this this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. Again, those words from Ephesians 3. This man that we read about here in this passage, Saul of Tarsus, better known to us by his Gentile name, Paul, was the first apostle, the first sent one, that God commissioned to go and minister specifically to the Gentiles. And such a calling was truly a strange one to the mind of the ordinary Jew of the day. Because as we know from other writings in the scriptures, the Jews had a very low opinion of the Gentiles. And not only did the Jews reject the Gentiles, they even considered them to be no better than dogs. And so the thought of accepting them with open arms into the fold of God was just repugnant and vile to the Jewish sensibilities. We understand that, though, because such biases and prejudices have always been, and they still are. They're common within most all cultures. In recent uh, months, we have seen a lot of news reports about the divisions that take place within the culture of India. There are those various castes within their system Uh, create a deep divide. One caste is considered to be better or worse than another. And never can one be allowed to cross from the one they're born into into another caste. And that caste system is so intricately tied to their Buddhism religious practices that it makes that whole circumstance of culture irreconcilable. And while we don't have that kind of structure here in our American culture, we do struggle, as we all know, with some of the same feelings. And I confess for myself since the introduction of terrorism into our daily lives, that I personally struggle with my thoughts and feelings towards the Mideastern Muslim folks. Perhaps someday such feelings of bias and prejudice within me and within all of us will go away. And we hope so. And we do know that such things are possible because it took place here with the Apostle Paul. But may I quickly say to us that such bias and prejudices we're speaking about here can never be defeated through the methods and in the manner that the leaders of our day propose. Our leaders truly believe that education and laws and court rulings and other such forced acquiescence will cure the problem. But folks, if that were true, listen, 
If that were true, we could simply pass laws, educate away every form of sin and crime and misbehavior, eradicating sin altogether, simply through their methodology. But it does not work. It does not work. So then how did the Apostle Paul, how did the heart of this one man, Paul, change? And how were his efforts supposed to bring about some changes or those kinds of changes within the hearts of his fellow Jews? A verse quickly came to mind as I was uh, studying through this, and it came from the book of Zechariah, uh, verse four, or chapter 4, verse 6, and just the simple words, "...not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord." Now, with those words, God's angel was instructing Zerubbabel that the great task he was being called to accomplish, that of restoring the temple uh, after Israel's return from exile, that it could be done, or never be done, rather, through the might and the power of men. That such miraculous deeds could only be done through the might and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same would be true with the Apostle Paul. As he went forth to bring these Gentiles of the world, out of the world, into the kingdom of God. And why would that be so? It's because, again, the underlying foundational basis of all prejudice and bias is sin. No matter how we try to explain ourselves and our feelings... If we have biases and prejudices, they are welling up out of a cauldron of sin within us. And man, through his own might and power, cannot defeat sin within himself or within anyone else. And as we said a moment ago, no amount of explaining, no amount of teaching or educating, even punishment, can wipe away the power and the stain of sin. It just can't be done. Not possible. And so we read here then in verse 7 of Ephesians 3, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. Now here Paul is telling us that he has been commissioned to give the same gospel that had first been given to the Jews. Now to the Gentiles. And the same saving power that had been poured out upon God's first family, the Jews, has now been poured out upon the Gentiles. And again, we, you and I, are personally thankful that God's grace now extends to the Gentiles. That He did this because you and I are those Gentiles. So then, what was then the miraculous power that God was telling us about here. A power that's able to change hardened hearts into loving Christians. Those words again, verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. Folks, I can't overstate the impact of this word power. It simply cannot be overstated. The word itself carries its own inherent impact. 
The Greek word given here is dunamis or dynamis. The word from which we get the word dynamite. And God is very intentional in using this particular word here because it denotes a kind of power that is so immediate and so dramatic that it is overwhelming to our senses. Nothing can stand against it. To try to stand up against this kind of enormous power would be like us trying to stand against a mountain of dynamite as it explodes. And here also within this word is an added implication that the power that comes directly, that from it comes directly from the hand of God. And it is miraculous and irresistible. So then may I say again, the strength and the impact of this power that is spoken about here can never be overstated. Nothing can withstand this power. So then, as we read these words being used here and throughout all of Scripture, you and I can be confident when He says to us, I want you to go forth and I want you to speak My Word and My Word is going to change people because His Word has this kind of power within it, an overwhelming effect that takes place in each circumstance that we're involved in. Folks, listen, it was that same kind of power that back in the Old Testament parted the Red Sea, allowed the Israelites to come on through and yet also destroyed all of the Egyptians that were coming behind. And it's that same power that cared for and fed and protected the Israelites for 40 years. And it was that same power that, that uh, enabled the Lord Jesus to turn water into wine, to, to heal the sick, to, to, to raise the dead. To, to give sight to the blind, feed 5,000 people, and on and on. And then as Jesus left the earth to return to the throne of His Father, it's that same power that He sent to dwell on earth and live within the hearts of men and women like you and me. And not just like you and me, to dwell within you and me who have Christ as our Savior. Listen to these words. This is Acts 1, verse 8. This is just as before Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And please do take note within whom this power resides. You will receive power when you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now some have preached and do preach that this special power that Jesus was speaking about here was for His disciples alone. I've heard it preached that the first century church needed what we would today call a jump start. Some extra boost of power to get the church going, that first century church. And so that's why God gave His Spirit with such power. But then after that time, the Holy Spirit did not need to minister that power among the disciples. And so we do not have it today. 
But I must tell you emphatically that I see nothing of that teaching within the pages of these Scriptures. Such beliefs and such teachings must come through some sort of erroneous conclusion within the minds of those who preach it because they simply are not given within the words of this book. When the Lord Jesus left this earth in His bodily form, He sent His Holy Spirit to continue the work that He had begun. And His Holy Spirit was then and is now as mighty and as powerful as Jesus was when He was here. I want to emphasize that again by reminding us that Jesus, the almighty, powerful one, was one of three. All three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, were equal, co-equal, having the same power and might. And nothing, nothing could withstand their power and might. And now here in the words of Acts 1, we're being told that God's Spirit, with all of that might and power, has been given to you and me. All of us who have received Christ as Savior and Lord. In these words, and then following on with so many of of the same other declarations, God is saying that He will not only put His Spirit within each one of us who believe, He will also pour out His Spirit upon us. And we will receive the might and the power beyond anything that we could ever hope or imagine to carry out that which He has asked us to accomplish. And, And let me say again that I do grieve for all those many church leaders today who do minimize the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus from their pulpits. It should not be being preached. God has not changed, and the mighty working power of the Holy Spirit has not been removed from our presence. Nowhere in the Scriptures is that said. The mighty working power that He speaks about here in verse 7 of the Holy Spirit is still the same today as He was in those first days. The same one who gave that power and that, that persuasive uh, might into the mind and into the words of the Apostle Paul. And that's how Paul was able to bring about all those massive changes that would take place in the hearts and souls of men. And again, it's not by his own persuasive words. And he says so in a couple of different places within the New Testament writing here. Not by his own persuasive words or clever conversation, not by any might and power of his own, but by the mighty working power of God's Holy Spirit. And God God is saying the very same thing to you and me. That's why he gave us verse 7 here again. Let me read it for you. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. And then back again with Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the question then, why why is God giving us this these words, this message today? And the answer is simple, and it's forthright. Now that we have received Christ and His salvation into our own souls, we are now to be as the Apostle Paul was then. We are to be the voice of Christ. We are to be His arms, His hands, His feet, 
Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we are to go forth and we're to pass on that which we have received to every person that we meet along the way. These words from Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, says the Apostle Paul, for you, and I fill up in my flesh, which is still lacking, the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. This is God, folks, passing the responsibility on to you and me. The blessed gift of salvation that God has given to us is not something to be held up close and and, and personal for our own benefits. But rather it is a treasure that is to be shared with as many as receive it. And let me just say, you might think right now of just any number of people who if they would simply receive this blessed gift of salvation, their whole mindset would change. Everything within them would change. That's why you and I are being called to pass it along. And yes, as these words tell us, we will experience afflictions because we are to take up the afflictions of Christ because He suffered by all the rejection that He received. And so we too will be rejected and we will be suffering afflictions as we go about fulfilling the work that Jesus left for us to do. But we must anyway. We must press on anyway. As we said in our message last week, we must now be willing ourselves to give up all those old self-centered ways, all those habits and those desires. The eternal salvation of another person's soul is so much more important and valuable than, than the personal needs and enjoyments that we might think that we need to hang on to. You and I need to be able to pass that grace alone to that next person. May I share a quick personal application of these words? I remember well those earliest days of my life when my work life, when my whole focus was given to my being and becoming the president of a bank. When I started out in that Work, that was my goal. I reached for that at every moment. And what I wanted was, and what I could see was, out there in the future, all those benefits that followed along with that title. An upscale home, spending time with upscale friends, going to an upscale restaurant, and to upscale cocktail parties of which I did them all for a while. But then suddenly one day, through no power of my own and due to no credit of my own, all those foolish, foolish pursuits changed. They were not important to me anymore. 
I suddenly began to see the need that other people had. All those people that I spent time with, that I thought I would enjoy their company, I realized that I did not because I saw how lost they were. And I could, all I had to do was look around and I could see so many people who were in need. But they didn't even know that they were in need. They just kept chasing after the same wind that they had chased after yesterday. Never finding relief for their struggling, for their pursuit. Never finding, never achieving what they were after. Now what, what was it that caused that change to take place in me? It was this power, this power that God speaks about here. Of no power of my own, no might of my own, but of this special power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Unbeknownst to me, the mighty working power of God's Holy Spirit changed my mind, changed my hopes, changed my dreams. And may I say to you, right now, I am so very glad that He did that. I know that I am far happier and more blessed today than I could ever have been following after that broad path that I'd chosen for myself. So then, what should these words in today's passage mean to you and me personally? What does it mean to you personally? Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. Let me ask you, do you mistakenly think that those words were for the Apostle Paul only? Because a lot of people do. They, they believe that that was for Paul. But let me declare to you with and on the authority of this Word of God, that these words are also meant for you, personally. The Gospel that He speaks about here has the power of the Holy Spirit residing within it. Romans chapter 1. The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It has the Holy Spirit power residing within it. And if you are saved, you also have been appointed, just as the Apostle Paul, to be a minister of this gospel. In other words, that which God has given to you, you must. You must pass along to the next person and to the next and to the next As we said in an earlier message, grace is like this mighty flowing river that must be allowed to flow freely. Unencumbered by your or my hesitation or fear or other desires. You might say as Moses did, but I'm slow of speech and I just really don't know what I would say. And I say to you, let none of that concern you because on the authority of the Word of God, yes, you are supposed to study these Scriptures so that you can be approved, but you're to have no concern for what you might say as you minister. 
those words in Matthew 10, verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. At that very moment, God will give you the words to say. And yes, you may think that you're stumbling with your voice. You may think at the moment that you are just uh, being very confusing with your words or or, uh, some other form of lack of ability. But not so. The Holy Spirit takes what you say and He makes it, turns it into a fine sermon in the heart of that person who's listening. His words here to us, they're a trustworthy promise that He will give us those words to say. It will be the mighty working power of God's Holy Spirit who lives within you that will give power to those words. Now, I do hope to spend more time perhaps next week telling us about this precious, mighty working power of God's Spirit. And I especially do invite you to begin to search through these Scriptures, asking God to reveal His Spirit to you. Let me assure you, you will be forever blessed. But for today, let's close with these words again from the book of Zechariah. It is not by might nor by power, by your might or your power, but by my Spirit, by the mighty working power of the Holy Spirit, saith the Lord. Let's pray.